All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman, and today I am giving you my rapid reaction to the Falcons 19 to 7 week three preseason loss of the Washington Redskins. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me, Aaron Freeman, been covering Falcons for many years. I'm on Twitter at FalcFans, of course, the host of this world-renowned Locked on Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, and today's episode is my rapid reaction to Thursday night's preseason loss to the Washington Redskins. The Falcons, of course, dropped their 12th straight preseason game, uh, dating back to 2016, to the Redskins by a score of 19-7. to And once again, it was the typical classic Falcons preseason game. First half, things looking promising. Some things go their way, but second half, particularly that third quarter, things start to break down and the Falcons can't dig themselves out of a hole. They got up 7-3 to in the second quarter with the starters, but really struggled in the second half of the game to really move the ball when quarterback Danny Etling took over the helm. Matt Ryan started the game pretty strong, completing his first eight passes for 60 yards, but he wound up finishing the game 9 of 14 for 74 total yards. He played the entire first half with the majority of the Falcons starters. Uh, the team should have scored three more points in the first half with the starters, but of course, Giorgio Tavecchio missed a 39-yard field goal, a chip shot on the opening drive. Both teams struggled to convert third downs even before Etling took over. The Falcons finished the night converting just three of 12 third downs, including one of six in the first half with the starters. The Redskins converted just two of 11 third downs and went one of five in the first half, so both teams' punters got a lot of work. The Falcons turned the ball over three times, including two of those coming on those punts, on muff pumps. Rookie Marcus Green muffed a punt early in the third quarter that led to a Redskins touchdown. Then Olamide Zacchaeus mimicked him on the very next series, and that led to a Redskins field goal. Quadri Olison also fumbled later in the game. It was recovered by a Redskins DB, Ashton Lampkin, but Zacchaeus somewhat redeemed himself, chased him down, stripped him from behind, going into the end zone, resulting in a touchback. After that, really for the first time, all throughout the second half with Etling at the helm, the Falcons did manage to move the ball, get the ball in the Redskins' territory. At that point, the outcome of the game was out of reach, but they could have at least capped off the game with a positive scoring drive, a touchdown potentially. But of course, they did not. Etling underthrew Devin Gray on a potential you know, big play down the sideline on a deep pass. Etling finished the night completing just two of six passes for 19 yards. He did, however, lead the team in rushing with 48 yards and seven carries. Quadri Olsen got the bulk of the running back snaps alongside Etling in the second half and finished with 42 yards for on 12 carries. Etling's lack of experience really showed in uh, the offense, and he was very indecisive and held onto the ball, led to a couple of sacks, and led, uh, led to him scrambling a bunch. On a positive note, however, for the Falcons, there were some standout performances for the Falcons, particularly early in the game. Ido Smith was solid. He scored the team's lone touchdown on a nice run up the middle. Justin Hardy and Mohamed Sanu also had a couple of nice catches on the early drives. James Carpenter played the bulk of the snaps at left guard. John Monbrow did get the start there. Matt Gano started for 
uh, Ty Sambrella at the right tackle spot. Both those guys held up reasonably well at the left guard and right tackle spots, respectively, going up against a formidable Redskins front. Defensively, we saw Tack McKinley get an interception that was later officially, according to the stat sheet, ruled to a fumble recovery. Uh, Deidre Sinat on that particular play, he started in, he did start tonight in place of uh, Tyler Davidson at the nose tackle, played well, but on that particular play, he got a sack teamed along with Adrian Claiborne to get a hit on Case Keenum that jarred the ball loose and it landed right in Tack's hands and he, you know, ran for a couple of yards uh after that uh Claiborne and Jack Crawford also showed capable ability to get pressure on the quarterback on other plays exposing a problematic left side of the Redskins offensive line Jermaine Grace made a number of plays in the second half in coverage and in run support he broke up a pass he had a couple of stops got some pressures uh as a blitzer as well we even saw Duke Riley flash some positives showing some physicality showing some decisiveness and helping the Falcons out to make a goal line stand late in the second quarter. On the downside for the Falcons, there were a bit too many injuries. A lot of players got nicked up and we'll have to get updates this weekend about sort of their status. First, we saw Ricky Ortiz, the Falcons fullback. He left the game very early on the opening drive with an ankle injury. His primary replacement was tight end Jaden Graham. Uh, but he then left the game later with a knee injury and was declared out immediately, which is generally an ominous sign. Devondre Campbell left the game early uh, due to some friendly fire from Keanu Neal and a big hit on Redskins tight end Jordan Reed that drew a flag and also had Reed being later evaluated for a concussion. Campbell's injury, however, was later reported to be minor and that he was good enough to go back in the game, but by that point, the Falcons' backups were in the game. So, you know, it was certainly a cause for concern early in the game, but it seems like it's working out well. Other injuries, Tevez Calhoun in his first game of the summer after missing the first three preseason games for the Falcons, he got taken out of the game, uh, tried to make a tackle, took a knee to the helmet, and basically was evaluated for a concussion, wound up being carted after he was helped off the field. He was wound up being carted back into the locker room. Uh, Rashid Hageman also was being evaluated for a neck injury in his first game back since the Hall of Fame game. Um, you know, the last point I'll say about the injuries, it was interesting to me that, you know, Reed's concussion of evaluation wasn't officially announced until like 80 minutes after Keanu Neal put the hit on him. Uh, which I at least think fuels the fire a little bit about the question marks surrounding their training staff, which is sort of at the center of this whole Trent Williams holdout controversy. That's one of the reasons why he's holding out, uh, because, you know, uh, essentially blaming the Redskins training staff for ruining his sort of injury and recovery. Maybe it, it took a while for the media to sort of get updates and they were evaluating him immediately. But it at least fuels the fire and, and certainly is one of those things that doesn't look good in, in this sort of narrative with the Redskins training staff being under fire. So that was one of my big takeaways from the injury situation uh, looking at that Redskins team. But uh, we'll leave it at that and we'll come back and, and get into some of the positive performances and some of these roster battles with the Falcons on today's episode. But before we get there, I want to let you fantasy football players out there know that you should be checking out Vinny Iyer and the Locked On Fantasy Football Podcast. Vinny gives you the edge with over 20 years of experience covering fantasy football. He'll put you ahead on draft day. He'll put you ahead all season long. The Locked On Fantasy Football Podcast can be found on your favorite podcast provider, including Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. 
Have you had a long day at work, tough day at school, still stuck at the office? Treat yourself to a meal that you deserve. Have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. DoorDash connects you to your favorite restaurants in your city. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be delivered to you wherever you are. Not only is your favorite pizza joint already on DoorDash, but there are over 340,000 restaurants in 3,300 cities, so you might find a new favorite too. With door-to-door delivery in all 50 states and Canada, order from your local go-tos or choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, Chick-fil-A, and the Cheesecake Factory. Don't worry about dinner. Let dinner come to you with DoorDash. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code LOCKEDON. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter promo code Locked On. Don't forget, that's promo code Locked On for $5 off your first order from DoorDash. So let's talk about some of the positive performances. I touched on a couple of them, but I want to focus on a few that I think sort of impact the final roster. You know, the running back battles is the first thing that I want to talk about just because I just th- think this is interesting. You know, I think we kind of know who the four, the Running backs, the Falcons are going to keep in Devontae Freeman, Ido Smith, Brian Hill, and Quadriolison. To me, I think it's going to be interesting conversation that the Falcons are going to have to have about which of those three are likely to be active on game day. Um, it seems like based off of the performances and also how the Falcons have sort of done their depth chart really the last three games, that Sherrod Neesman is the front runner to win the personal protector gig on the punt coverage team which we thought going into the summer was going to be Quadri Allison or Brian Hill's job. Um, by the way, Neesman did convert a fake punt on the opening drive uh, working at that position, so that was kudos to him. I think that hopefully, you know, plays like that will definitely help his cause. Um, what's interesting to me is instead of getting much of any work as a personal protector these last couple of games, I think I don't think we've seen Allison do it since the Hall of Fame game. I could be mistaken there. But... He hasn't really been working as the personal protector. He's been working more on the edge as a wing player on the punt coverage team, uh, while Hill has been working more as a as a backup to Neesman as a personal protector. And I think that's interesting because it, it at least seems like the Falcons like, okay, Allison's not going to be a personal protector, but we're going to find another role for him on special teams. And what's interesting about that is I think that could mean, though, even though Brian Hill has been the better running back, if the Falcons choose to only activate three running backs on week one, it could be a decent chance that a player like Allison could get activated over Brian Hill simply due to that special team's ability and simply due to pretending, potentially, we have to keep an eye on sort of the Falcons linebacker depth and their defensive back depth because those are some of the, the backups there are going to be some of the primary options to potentially play special teams. If Foye Olakun um, isn't healthy, if some of these D-backs like uh, Kendall Sheffield and whomever um, – are also nicked up going into week one, the Falcons could be looking at, we, we need some more value on the special teams coverage. And therefore 
Allison, we might think Allison gives us a little bit more value there than, than Hill does. And based off of what I've seen in this preseason, I think Allison has outperformed Hill in that regard. I've seen him make a couple more plays than Hill has in special teams. I don't think Hill has been bad on special teams, but I've just seen Allison make a couple more plays. So that would be an interesting dynamic that we could be in a situation where Freeman's fixed as the RB1, Ito's fixed as the RB2, and then sort of depending on the matchup, depending on the health of various other players in the roster, and if the Falcons want a little bit more juice on special teams or they want a little bit more juice on offense, we could see them sort of alternate who's the RB3 from a week-to-week basis, depending on some various other factors in terms of what their game plan is. Speaking of Edo Smith, he did get the quote-unquote start as the team's kickoff returner um, today. Notably, one of the things, if you listen to yesterday's preview episode of the crossover podcast with uh, Chris Russell of the Locked On Redskins podcast. He talked about how the Redskins special teams coverage was bad. And I think it was notable that the Redskins basically were trying to minimize the amount of returns um, that they had in this game. So they were kicking touchbacks. So the Falcons return game really didn't necessarily move the needle, particularly in the kickoff. We, we, we know that certain guys did not take advantage of their opportunities as punt returners. And, that's obviously Green and Zacchaeus. Um, you know, the last point I'll say about Edo Smith is if you've been listening to this podcast over the last week, you you know my thoughts on sort of keeping an extra body on the roster just to return kicks, just to return punts. To me, is a waste of a spot, particularly when you have some of the talent that the Falcons have elsewhere on this roster that you're going to wind up getting rid of just so you can keep a return specialist that's probably just going to be replacement level type of player in my eyes. Um and certainly Green and, and, and guys like Zacchaeus haven't necessarily done anything this preseason to make me feel like that prediction is wrong. But, um, you know, the fact that Edo Smith is getting that work, it's a positive. So I'm like, maybe the Fal- Falcons are at least smarting up on the kickoff return duties. The punt return situation remains a concern right now. You know, it looked like on the muff punts, both guys lost it in the lights. I know it clearly looked like that with Zacchaeus because it, he clearly misjudged where the ball was landing. Like he called for a fair catch and then went up to catch it and then realized, oh crap, it's not heading towards me. And then he tried to, at the last second, dive to to make it. And he, you know, missed, touched the ball and missed and the, and the Redskins recover. I don't know if Green, you know, that was the case with Green. It just seemed like he just dropped it. But um, maybe he did lose it in the lights. And so you're looking at the punt return job and you're like, okay, this is Kenyon Barner's job now. You know, or it's at least his to lose, but he didn't play tonight. He's been out with an ankle injury, and I don't necessarily know we can sit here and say, oh, it's his job now, unless he comes back next week and wins it. You know, I don't think it's automatically he's going to win that battle by default. Now, as I've said before in previous episodes, I feel like, you know, if it were me, I'd probably have guys like an Oliver or Sheffield get those opportunities, and, and because those guys do something else other than just return and and that frees up a roster spot but knowing the falcons they're not going to play either one of those guys next week so they're not really going to get an opportunity to get tested there um you know i will sit here and say this i think there's a possibility that justin hardy opens up the season as the punt returner it was zero percent as of 24 hours ago now i think it's kind of like 25 percent. i think there's a there's a chance that the, that's what the falcons wind up doing which you know if you you know, I'm a big fan of Justin Hardy as a wide receiver. I'm a big fan of Justin Hardy in terms of his special teams ability covering kicks. I am not a big fan at all and never have been a fan of Justin Hardy's ability as a returner. And I don't think any of you guys are either. So, you know, that's basically the Falcons once again settling 
for the fifth best option here because they arguably mismanaged this whole situation. Um, so, you know, for me, if it was me, you know, I'd give Russell Gage a shot. I think he has a skill set, but obviously he's dealing with an injury. So we'll have to sort of see. I think the Falcons could be looking at potentially exploring some trade options, trying to find a, a backup wide receiver, a backup cornerback that can also contribute on offense and or defense, but also also be an effective return specialist. And if that means trading Justin Hardy to create that roster spot, then so be it, you know? Um, but like, it's one of those things where I think we'll have to sort of see what happens. Looking at the offensive line, I wasn't super focused on James Carpenter, but I did before going back and recording, recording this episode, I did go back and try to watch the majority of his first half snaps. And I thought he was solid. You know, I I think, uh, Jamon Brown didn't help his case by getting a costly false start on the opening drive that then, you know, led to the Falcons kicking that field goal to Vecchio miss, but you know, it was a 39 yard field goal, whatever. You know, that was the only series that Brown played. Uh, the Carpenters played the rest of the left guard snaps for the remaining four series in the first half. I thought he did good, good work in pass protection. I thought he looked a little stiff at times. That's probably due to the fact that he was dealing with a hip flexor injury these last couple of weeks. And so that will probably make you a little stiff in the hips. I thought his run blocking could be a little bit better. Maybe that's, again, related to the, the injury. I think both guys are really kind of living up to the reputation. Carpenter's the better pass protector. Brown's probably the better run blocker. Um, I'd probably probably still lean Jamon Brown at this point just because I, I feel like, again, based off of Carpenter's stiffness, maybe Brown's a little closer to 100%. I'll go with the healthier guy. But right now, again, if you're just judging, you know, Brown's like four to five series last week and there's one series this week and then Carpenter's four series this week. There's not a whole lot of separation between those guys. So it'll be an interesting decision that the Falcons are going to have to make. The other notable battle for me was sort of, uh, you know, that tight end th- three job, the fullback possibility. Um, you know, Ricky Ortiz got hurt. Then Jaden Graham got hurt. You know, and it, again, as I mentioned earlier, it's kind of a, a little ominous that he was immediately declared out. I didn't see the injury but that's certainly not a good sign when it's a knee and he's out for the game. When you see that come across your your, your timeline, you, you don't like to see that. So that makes me a little bit, bit concerned. I thought Graham had a very good chance of leapfrogging Logan Paulson as the third tight end due to his versatility to play that fullback spot, uh, stepping in for Ortiz when he went out of the game, having that athleticism and upside to be a more effective wide receiver than Paulson and also be a more effective special teams player. Uh, so my hope is that he's going to be just fine and the Falcons were being cautious on that. You know, Ortiz was a guy that I think was already on the bubble. His ankle injury, whether it's a minor one or a major one, certainly is not going to help his cause there. You know, right now I think the Stocker is going to be their tight end too as well as their sort of fullback right now at this point. You know, I, I think the Falcons might want to tinker with the idea of maybe moving Duke Riley to that fullback spot. And I jokingly said that on Twitter, um, but I'm kind of serious about it. I'm like 34% serious about the Falcons maybe moving Duke Riley to fullback. You know, we didn't really get an opportunity to really evaluate the backup wide receivers, but I do think the sort of we kind of know who the top six guys are. The question really is, do the Falcons maybe put a guy like Christian Blake ahead of Justin Hardy? We saw Blake get the bulk of those works of that of those snaps at the X wide receiver spot that Russell Gage has been filling in for Julio Jones tonight. Um, you know, so I think that's really the concern right now. You know, is is Blake five and Hardy six, or is Hardy five and, and Blake is six? 
My guess is the latter, but I think it's close enough that because Blake has played basically all three wide receiver spots, that it you know the Falcons again. I wouldn't necessarily be applauding this move, but I could see the Falcons saying, you know what, we like Blake's upside, we like his versatility. He can play all three spots. We'll go with him over Hardy, and then maybe use Hardy as trade bait uh, potentially or, or something along those lines. You know, we'll, we'll have to sort of see how that goes. But that's going to be a battle that I don't think is going to get settled until after this upcoming Jaguars game. So we'll come back, talk a little bit more about Danny Etling and some other issues that I noticed on the, on the, on the, in the game. Uh, but did you guys know that college football starts this weekend? Yeah, it kind of snuck up on me too. Uh, you can get prepared by checking out the two draft-related podcasts in addition to a bevy of team-specific college shows on the Locked On Podcast Network. Check out Draft Dudes. Check out the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast and your favorite college team's daily podcast. You can find them on your favorite podcast provider, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. So, you know, this is usually the part where I get into the negatives. Um, I'm going to talk quite a bit about Danny Etling. He did not play well, but I'm going to defend Danny Etling. And, uh, you know, the point I'll make, and it'll make sense in a second, uh, but the point I'll make is, you know, he played in New England in the Earhart Perkins offense. That's the same offense that the Falcons had under Mike Malarkey and then continued under Dirk Cutter on his first go-round in 2012 in terms of the terminology. Um, then you guys remember that's basically how Matt Ryan played in that Earhart Perkins offense for seven years. Then the Falcons came in with Kyle Shanahan and Dan Quinn and installed the West Coast offense. And we saw Matt Ryan basically take a year to figure out that offense. And Matt Ryan was a seven-year veteran, took him an entire year to figure out the West Coast offense. Danny Etling's had a week. He's not a seven-year veteran. He's a second-year veteran and really has played minimal snaps this offseason as a quarterback. Because remember, the Patriots decided to move him to wide receiver. So I think it's easy for people to sit here and be dismissive of Danny Etling and be like, oh, he played terribly. Um, he did not look good as a quarterback, but I think that's kind of missing the point. To me, looking at the game, I was very excited about Danny Etling's performance. I was very excited about his mobility. You know, I think one of the things I pointed out before is like, can he help out the scout team with the mobile quarterbacks that the Falcons are going to face this year? Yes. That was something that they pointed out in the broadcast. You know, now in the event next season, and I'm not advocating this. I, I honestly am not advocating this. But in the event that the Falcons do decide to move on from Muhammad Sanu next year, you have a potential ready-made replacement that can do some of that 12-gauge slash wildcat stuff uh, in Danny Etling to potentially replace Sanu if you don't decide to give it to Russell Gage because at least Danny Etling, he is a much more proven passer. I know he didn't show it tonight, but certainly a much more proven passer than necessarily Russell Gage is in that role. So he gives you some of that dual threatness that Sanu also has. Um, but, you know, basically the Patriots told us that they didn't think much of Danny Etling's ability as a quarterback. They draft, After drafting him last season, they drafted another quarterback this season and then moved Etling to wide receiver. So what did you really expect, particularly when you factor in the fact that he basically had seven days and three practices to get ready for this game? You know, for me at least, I look at Danny Etling more not as a quarterback, but as an offensive weapon a mobile quarterback that's an offensive weapon. And I think everybody else, you'll be dogging and dragging Etling because I think these people lack the imagination to see him as anything other than a quarterback. You know, he's an OW in my eyes. 
And I think, you know, everybody's going to sit here and say, Aaron, you're just being contrarian. You're being that guy just to have a different out there opinion to be, you know, you do it for whatever reasons in your weird psychology. And look, when you look at it purely as a quarterback, yeah, he was bad. But when you look at it from the light of sort of an offensive weapon, it's like you're kind of a little impressed with his a little bit ability to run around, scramble, and get yards on the ground, and even you know lower the shoulder and try to truck some defenders. Uh, that's intriguing. It should be intriguing at least, you know. Um, and I think this is the difference, not to be too condescending here, but I think this is the difference between people that get sort of innovative, offensive, and creative football and people that don't. You know, is Etling on par with a Taysom Hill? No. Is he on par with a Joe Webb or a Brad Smith? Remember him? Lamar Jackson? No. Would Braxton Miller or Terrell Pryor be better suited to play the role that I'm envisioning for Danny Etling? Absolutely. Um, But to me, this is a spark of creativity that I'm at least intrigued by, that I think, um, you know, this spark of creativity has been kind of sorely missing from the Falcons' offense since you-know-who left. And so this is why I'm intrigued, and I feel like everybody else needs to get on my level. Uh, <laughs> that doesn't sound too pretentious. But, um, you know, he struggled to throw the football. It's a brand-new offense. Um, but really, the, the game plan for Danny Etling should have just been read options and RPOs. That's basically what we're seeing. And, again, I'm not trying to sit here and pretend like, oh, Danny Etling's ready to be a contributor in 2019. No, he's going to just be a scout team guy, practice squad guy. Give him four months to learn the offense, and then 2020, who knows? That's what that's he's a project. That's all I'm sitting here saying. I'm not sitting here saying, like, oh, Danny Ellen's gonna be a saver, but he's an intriguing project to me. So I know five of you listening to this right now are nodding your head, like, Aaron, we're on the same page, and we're vibing right now with this whole Danny Etling project thing. And then the rest of you are like, Aaron, you're a crazy person. Um, I'm just saying, catch up. The last couple of points I'll point out tonight are. Deidre Sinat did get the start for Tyler Davison. Uh, I thought he played well, made a couple of plays. Uh, that certainly puts a damper on the whole idea and the narrative that he's on the bubble. Um, by the way, I, I forgot to mention this earlier in the episode, but Justin Zimmer was also a player that was listed as injured. He hurt his foot. Hopefully that's not a major issue for him because he's been a guy that I've been liking as a 53-man roster guy. You know, For me, it's like keep both Zimmer and Sinat. They're two young players. You got a bunch of old guys on your defensive line, at least at the top of your depth chart, with guys like Crawford and Bailey and Claiborne, and having some young, you know, 25, 26 year old D, D linemen that you can have waiting in the wings to develop down the road as rotational pieces is a smart strategy. That's part of the reason why I'm like, if the Falcons get rid of either Sonat or Zimmer, they're being dumb. But, um, you know, let's talk about Giorgio Tavecchio. Well, let's not talk about Giorgio Tavecchio. I said all I wanted to say about Giorgio Tavecchio last week. If you didn't check out last week's Rapid Reaction, go ahead, you know, check it out. I spent like 10 minutes ranting, I guess you could say, about Giorgio Tavecchio. All I'll sit here and say is, you know, Dan Quinn didn't necessarily go out of his way to sort of defend Giorgio Tavecchio in his postgame press conference. So, I mean, that, that kind of tells you sort of where I'm at. And like I said, I said this in 2018, I was like, everybody else was going crazy with the Italian ice thing. And I'm like, one, one made field goal doesn't earn you a cool nickname. You got to earn that thing over the course of a season, my friend. So that's why I have not been the person calling him Italian ice really at all. But that's me, you know, again, once again, I'm an innovator and I'm an icon, but, uh, you know, one of the last points I'll make is, uh, Matt Gano. I thought he looked solid. I think he's better than Ty Sambrello. 
Gano did get beat a couple of times. Um, but, you know, I, I'm willing to work with that. Uh, you know, to me, it's always been kind of weird to me how supportive some people are of Sam Brayla. I know those people are in a small minority based off of last week, after last week, but it's weird to me sort of how loyal, this is what basically the thing I said last week about Tavecchio. It's weird to me that people are more loyal to Tavecchio than they are to Matt Bryant. I know the vast majority of Falcon fans are all about Matt Bryant, and but the, the 12 Falcon fans out there that are like, Pro Tavecchio guys and like, who cares about Matt Bryant? Like, it's that's you. Twelve people to me are weirdos, absolute weirdos. And to me, like anybody sitting there, you know, sitting here and be like, "So really, wasn't that bad last week?" Like, okay, if you say so. But we have a first round pick waiting in the rings. We have a young, talented player in Matt Gano. Like, why are you sitting here defending Ty Sambrello? Why are you invested in Ty Sambrello being a starter? That makes no sense to me. Like, we have a first-round pick. It would be different if, like, McGarry was a fourth-round pick. But he's a first-round pick. You should be dying for him to get on the field. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is the first time I've ever heard of anybody be not advocating in favor of a Falcons first-round pick. All, all four of you that are pro-Sam Like, the only people that should be pro-Sam Brelo are his, his mother, his father, his brothers, his sisters, his girlfriend, his grandmother, his aunts, his uncles. Like, if you're not related or next door to neighbors with Ty Sanrelo, what, what do you do? I don't get it. But I'll let, I'll let you go. <laughs> I don't get it. But, yeah, basically all I want to say is, I, you know, again, if you're asking me, and, and of course I am the most biased person on this because I have been anti Sanrelo, if you want to call it that, since day one, since the Falcons acquired him. Gano should be the starting right tackle for week one, and he should be the one keeping the seat warm for uh, Caleb McGarry, if you ask me. Um, but obviously I'm biased. That's my answer. If you're surprised by that, you know, I guess you're probably new to the podcast. Um, you know, if, and if you are new to the podcast, this is your first welcome. Uh, just want to give you a heads up on, on the brand of this podcast that you're going to hear constantly, you know, where this podcast is all about Patrick DeMarco, all about Keanu Neal, all about Matt Bryant. The brand is Desmond Trufant's very underrated. Ricardo Allen's underrated. Austin Hooper's underrated. Jonathan Babineau's the GOAT. Uh, Muhammad Sanu's bad. Ty Sambrello's bad. And, and Devondre Campbell is the worst good player ever in the history of the world. McBeasy's a bad pass rusher, but he's a good linebacker. Those are the, those are the main sweeping things that we hit on this podcast. If, and if you're, if those look good with you, whether you agree with them or not, you know, I don't really care. I'm not going to change my opinion. Uh, I'm going to keep doing the show, but. If, if you can get through that and you agree with that, great. Then this is going to be the show for you. We're going to be at this every day. Next Monday, right now, temporarily, we'll say, tentatively, we'll say it's a fan talk, but the Julio Jones contract might be coming up. We might have some more breaking news over the weekend. We'll have to sort of play it by ear, but fan talk coming next week. 53-man roster breakdown, and then we'll sort of do whatever we got to do to fill in the time there, and then we'll do another preview and rapid reaction for the preseason finale. So that's what's on deck for next week. Appreciate you guys for listening. I hope you have a good weekend. Of course, when you get in your car, when you're driving around town, going to Popeye's to get your chicken sandwich, or if you're one of those people that for some reason hates Popeye's chicken, you're a weirdo to me, just like the Ty Sambrello stands. But, you know, if you're out there going to Chick-fil-A or wherever your chicken sandwich place of choice, you can get in your car and tell your smart device to play podcast Lockdown Falcons, and I'll be right there with you for the drive as you munch down on that juicy piece of chicken 
slide it up between two nice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done. I'm done. I'm sorry. All right, we gotta. Oh, that's if you're new to the podcast. I always gotta make it weird at the end of the show. That just just goes with the territory. Just roll with it. You'll be fine. Until then, guys. You are locked on Falcons. Your daily podcast on the Atlanta Falcons. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.